Exploring the Stur Valley offers visitors a window into the past. The beautiful towns and villages were developed on the wealth of the cloth trade, with the River Stur providing the channel for that trade and the landscape has been shaped by the underlying geology and human development. There are examples of prehistory at several locations along the river valley. Wandering through Long Melford or Lavenham, for example, visitors can see many historic buildings and churches. In fact, in the town of Clare, there are 133 listed buildings. You can explore the past at Clare Castle or Melford Hall, or travel along the river in a Stuart lighter from Sudbury to experience how goods were once transported along the river in past industry. The Stuart Valley provides days of exploration as it reveals its hidden treasures one by one. Walking the many footpaths can help reveal the underlying shape of the landscape beneath your feet and looking up whilst wandering the village streets will open your eyes to intriguing architecture and special features. My name's Ashley Cooper and I have been passionately interested in local history and archaeology for the last 40 or 50 years. I was born here and throughout my adult life I have wondered what the landscape was like, the landscape of the Stour Valley was like in previous millennia, how people who lived here actually lived, who they were and how they used the trees and the flowers and the woods um, that they would have known and been dependent upon. We are so blessed in the Stour Valley area to have absolutely a panoply of history, rich, that stretches back to Stone Age times, Neolithic cursus discovered at Bures, and then the whole Stour Valley dotted with Bronze Age barrows. That brings us fleetingly quickly to the Iron Age, the pre-Roman times, where we have the Trinovantes and the Catavalloni uh, existing in this part of what is today Essex and South Suffolk. The Iceni were further away to the north. My name's Paul Galifant. This is uh, an area of outstanding natural beauty uh, which is similar to a national park. There are a huge number of sites which um, can be seen um, in favourable circumstances from an aircraft, and they have been photographed, um, showing burial sites, um, showing sites which are for um, processions and um, religious or otherwise. Um, and of course, uh, there is one particular tumulus uh, at Lawford, which actually still exists above ground. It goes back to well before the Bronze Age, uh, Neolithic times, and uh, it can be proved um, by archaeologists that uh, um, Neolithic man was uh, present in the Vale. We're talking about going back to, say, 6,000 years. This has been proven by stones that we've taken to Ipswich Museum. Ipswich Museum have dated them. There are, are um, a number of sites that run the length of the, of the Vale. So starting in Lawford, there are a lot in Lawford, even down by the river here, um, and large circles um, and um, U-shaped uh, sites which um, uh, look as though they could have been for chariot racing, but in fact were nothing to do with chariot racing. They were these processional uh, sites which uh, archaeologists have now discovered. 
and um, they go all the way up to Bewers uh, and there are a lot between Wormingford and Bewers. And then with the coming of the Romans the area was crossed with a number of major Roman roads from Colchester to Long Melford and then on towards Cambridge and from London to Braintree to Guestingthorpe to Long Melford up to the North Norfolk coast and Long Melford in particular was a significant Roman town. In an excavation about 30 years ago a very large stone sarcophagus was discovered there. Uh, that's not in Long Melford Heritage Centre but the Heritage Centre does have a very nice display of Roman artefacts that have been found in the town and the vicinity. A number of um, roads have been excavated, a villa has been excavated not very far away. Roman Long Melford, a very significant major crossroads along the River Stour in Roman times. I'm Geoffrey Brown, the chairman of Clare Castle Country Park. I've had that position since Clare took over the park from Suffolk County Council in 2015. It's a 36-acre park which consists of grassland and woodland. It's got two small lakes. It's got the River Star on one boundary and the Chilton Stream on another boundary. It's got the remains of a medieval castle with a 60-foot mot with a keep on the top and from which at the top you get a really good view of Clare and the surrounding countryside. It's got the Victorian station buildings and the good shed. So there's a lot to see. Until 2013, there hadn't really been any significant digs and there was one that was led by Carenza Lewis in 2013. But as part of our Heritage Lottery Fund grant, uh, we were funded to do some community digs over a three-year period. And in 2018, we did one in the Outer Bailey where a number of artefacts were found, Saxon artefacts and others. Uh, but the most interesting thing probably was the, um, the stone foundations that were found because that gave us a much better indication of what the whole castle site looked like uh, hundreds of years ago. In 2019, there was uh, major excavations in the inner bailey um, and the most interesting things found there from a rather macabre point of view, were four very substantial trenches in which Saxon skeletons were found. So it was a really good indication that it was a, probably a Saxon cemetery, which denoted that it really was um, a centre of Saxon activity in those times. We had another major castle at Clare. It was first built by somebody called Fitzherbert. He was given the land by William the Conqueror, but his descendants uh, embellished it. And there is, of course, in Clare, the ancient house heritage centre. Clare Castle Park is well worth visiting, a nice recreational place to go with more information about the castle and people who lived there. Well, in 1066, when the Normans came, this is when Clare first got on the map, but historically, there's a lot of evidence of Saxon activity in the area. Um, the 14th century was the time when it came into its own from a royalty point of view, because Elizabeth de Burgh had a lot of royal connections, 
and she lived here and had lots of royal visitors periodically. Um, she also gave her name to Clare College in Cambridge because she funded them. Um, so the history of the, the site is very important. And from Roman times we come to the Saxons. At the time the River Stour was the, the national boundary between the people from Essex who were the East Saxons. It was almost like a frontier and then in Suffolk we had the Angles or the East Angles, the South Folk and further north the North Folk who today uh, is Norfolk. Um, about eight out of ten of our villages have names that derive from Saxon times and it's quite nice just to work through a little list of them. Uh, you look at Foxearth, Liston, Sudbury which was the southern fortified place, uh, Cornard, Henny, uh, then you can go to places like Wormingford and Wissington and uh, Bergholt, East Bergholt, all have names coming from the Saxons. If you go to Bures, there is a lovely remote chapel, St Stephen's Chapel, where it's thought that King Edmund was crowned in 855 AD. He later became the patron saint of medieval England. He was killed by the Danes, but there is a thought that he might have been crowned in Bures. In 855, um, on Christmas Day, um, King Edmund was crowned at Bures. It's the, um, the little chapel which stands at Bures, which it, on the hill, which is uh, just behind Cuckoo Hill, which is a, a, a most interesting, a most interesting place to go to. Um, and of course, um, King Edmund was um, rather savagely killed uh, at Hoxton. Uh, eventually um, tied to an oak tree and shot with arrows but um, nevertheless the uh, the Anglo-Saxons were a civilizing influence although we think of them as the Dark Ages uh, nevertheless I think they, they, they in fact had um, a very uh, civilized way of living. The Star Valley area is a hotbed of interest it's the so-called Peasants Revolt Simon of Sudbury Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, but he was beheaded by the mob in London. And in Sudbury, uh, a rector called Geoffrey Palfrey joined forces with another ex-clergyman, John Raw. They led rebels to the little village of Liston, and then to Cavendish, and to Long Melford, and then on to Bury St Edmunds, where they sort of uh, ran or certainly besieged the abbey. And so uh, it's fascinating that we have these two significant events. Uh, Star Valley area is in the centre of them. Despite that, it's also the time when we really are beginning to see a cloth trade beginning to develop in places like Lavenham, Long Melford, Sudbury, um, Helstead, to some extent Braintree. And it's the cloth trade which over the next 200 years was going to give us most exemplified sort of mouth-watering churches at Lavenham, Long Melford, but not forgetting also places like Boxford and Stoke-by-Nayland and also uh, those wonderful timber-framed medieval buildings, Lavenham Guildhall, lovely timber-framed buildings in Sudbury, Boxford and other local villages as well that date 
from those late medieval, early Tudor times. And then, of course, after that, um, Tudor times and, of course, that the houses that we have in the, in the Vale, um, particularly the larger timber houses, um, became built because there was money. And the money came from um, what people know as wool villages, but in fact are cloth villages. And it was the cloth they produced which, which created the wealth, not the wool. And of course, Dedham was one of the um, was one of the towns um, which was Georgianized on the back of the money that that uh, came earlier. Um, whereas places like Lavenham lost their wealth before Georgian times, and so remained as uh, a timber village rather than uh, a Georgian faced village where the brickwork was put up the front of the house and um, it's most interesting to stand in the street sometimes and look along the street in Dedham and see the frontages which were put on in Georgian times um, which of course looked like a cowboy town in some ways because they've even got sta iron stays at the top that uh, stop the, uh, the, uh, the top of the wall falling down into the street but uh, they are beautifully proportioned um, and um, it's uh, only because Dedham had some money and uh, these other villages didn't necessarily. Um, I mean there's, there's nowhere near the same sort of Georgian architecture in places such as uh, Stoke for example. With the 1600s, we pass through the Civil War and it brings us to the early 1700s, the great year for Sudbury, 1727, the birth of Thomas Gainsborough. The uh, local lad, he would have walked the lanes around Sudbury, he'd have explored the countryside, and when he came back from his apprenticeship in London, he painted some pictures which he has immortalised Cornard Wood, Mr and Mrs Robert Andrews, that most famous portrait of squire and wife, squire with gun under hand, which he painted at Bulmer overlooking the River Stour. You don't quite see the River Stour, but you can see Sudbury in the background. And uh, Gainsborough is now going to be really celebrated with a new museum that's being planned in Sudbury uh, Gainsborough's house has always been there, but significant mouth-watering additions are going to be made to really put Gainsborough internationally on the museum trail. And with Gainsborough, his father was a failed clothier, and he painted many people, ladies wearing ornate silk. It brings us to the next phase of the Star Valley, particularly Sudbury, Glempsford, and um, Helsted, Braintree and the Cone and the Pant, but it brings us to silk and that began to arrive as a manufacturing industry in the Sudbury area from the 1790s onwards and you simply cannot overstate how crucial silk has been employing local people in those towns and work it generated uh, most famously I suppose epitomised by Courtauld who came to Pebmarsh Braintree and Helstead, but also there are families in Sudbury like the Walters family who have been silk manufacturers for generations and generations and they are still there in the Cornard Road and silk can be viewed together with other lovely things in the Sudbury Heritage Centre that's just off the Market Hill 
and there are also medieval Roman Iron Age artefacts there as well. I'm Ali Burke and I work for the Church's Conservation Trust as a regeneration development officer at St Peter's in Sudbury. We used to call them redundant churches. We don't like the phrase redundant because they're well used and well loved. The churches across the country are little beacons in every village. You know, they're, they're, they're there. We recognise them immediately for what they are. Um, if you were to say to a local community, OK, nobody's looking after the build, the, your medieval church, we're going to pull it down, they'd be up in arms, regardless of their religious beliefs or anything like that. So um, we would never pull churches down, but I think that communities will pull together if they need to look after And people are proud of the buildings in, in, their, in their towns and villages. It's about being guardians of buildings that, you know, the, for the people that built them. You know, they're, they're amazing. They, they, they usually have some amazing art in them. Some of the churches have got some fantastic medieval wall paintings, um, things like that. So, they're, you know, they're very valuable. And, they, and there is some kind of spirituality about the buildings, regardless of anything, you know. Um, a colleague of mine said to me yesterday that um, they're not like castles and other heritage buildings. The thing with churches is that we can be in this building today and apart from the traffic, which is an obvious uh, difference, somebody who was standing in here 300 years ago would be feeling the same ambience and the sounds and churches are like a, a time machine back to olden days if you like. Sudbury uh, was very sort of prosperous um, through its wool trade and um, Elizabeth de Burgh was uh, she lived at Clare Castle and she was incredibly wealthy for I mean for a woman to be as wealthy as she was was really unheard of and um, she had very sort of grand ideas about um, Sudbury and the, so the whole Market Hill was her design was designed around this building you know that was uh, at, the, at the top so before this building there was another chapel here um, the Chapel of St Peter's uh, originally was situated at St Gregory's, which is the mother church in Sudbury, um, but was moved here. And then this building was created after. So St Peter's has never been a parish church. It's a chapel of ease for St Gregory's. And that gives you some idea about how prosperous Sudbury was, because they're two huge churches, really close to, to, together, you know, to, to, need an, to need an overflow chapel was, was quite something. Yes, the churches are very interesting. Um, East Burgot, of course, has a bell cage outside. It's a, a fascinating church and it's fascinating to go in and um, find out why, why in fact uh, it still has no tower. And uh, Stoke the Nayland is uh, a wonderful church which of course was financed by the cloth trade. Um, Dedham financed by the cloth trade. 
Lawford, uh, not so. That uh, that is simply a church which has um, uh, a, an exceptional interior. It's well worth well worth going to. Um, Lamarche Church is also a very interesting church um, with uh, the, the steeple that it has. There is uh, a, a, a tiny Catholic church at um, Withermarsh Green which is worth going to and Withermarsh Green um, is well off the beaten track but well worth um, going across. Um, a tiny narrow lane but um, unusual to find uh, the church where it is. Mills have obviously been on the river for hundreds and hundreds of years and as I said earlier um, they have um, suffered catastrophically from fire which was uh, very very common in, uh, in mills because of course uh, if stones if the millstones actually touched each other then uh, they sparked and that set off the, the flour and dust which uh, is in every mill um, and as long as the miller could keep the, the grain running and keep the stones separate then uh, there wasn't quite that danger but um, nevertheless it, it happened time and time and time again. Um, and there were a, a number of windmills also in the Vale, um, all of which have gone. Um, there are no windmills remaining now, water mills only. The most magnificent water mill is um, the one um, at um, Whissington. You can get to see it from a footpath, you can't drive there, but, uh, and it's now a private house, but it is a magnificent building, probably the most impressive um, of the original mills on the, on the river. Um, as I said, Dedham Mill is a brick mill now, um, and uh, of course uh, at Sudbury the, uh, the hotel is a brick mill. Um, so there aren't that many wooden mills. Wormingford is a wooden mill and still survives. As far as I know, none of them um, are working anymore. From the manufacture of silk, we come to the River Star, um, navigation for barges first became possible after an Act of Parliament in 1707 and with the River Stour as we enter the 1800s uh, we think of the Key Theatre in Sudbury one time it was a warehouse for items that were coming up the Stour on barges and as the barges went down along the Stour to Misley they will have gone through or gone past the villages that today we so associate with John Constable East Bergholt and Flatford Mill and Constable reaching his zenith really in around 1820, the Hay Wain was painted in 1821, these wonderful depictions of people repairing barges, horses leaping over um, fence posts as they go from one side of the, um, the toll path, the, the, the pulling path to another and we cannot but help pay tribute to John Constable's wonderful depictions of local rural life and our wonderful East Anglian skies. Yes, the Stour navigation um, was established in the early 18th century, very early 18th century, and um, ran until 1912 in its entirety up to Sudbury, um, and then uh, it, the last working barge went up to Dedham in 
about 1927. I say barge, but in fact they were known as lighters. And of course they had a unique way of operating. Um, it's virtually unknown anywhere else, I think, because they were linked um, one behind the other and um, towed up the river uh, by horse, of course. Um, power was tried in the 1870s for a very short time um, with steam, but it was unsuccessful. So it was abandoned and they carried on with horsepower. But of course the railway came along and um, finished things off. Uh, and uh, really um, there was no competition. Once um, you could transfer stuff to rail and um, you could um, travel uh, with um, much greater tonnages. Nevertheless, it's amazing how long it lasted. The railway was established in the mid-19th century, and yet the canal, or rather the navigation, because it isn't a canal, it's only canalised in certain parts, um, the navigation managed to keep going um, until 1927, when the last one, the last lighter, arrived at um, Dedham Mill. Initially, the navigation operated using flash locks, which were very, very um, inefficient because they simply allowed the water to flow through as soon as you opened the gates. And then, of course, the more traditional locks were put in, as you would see at Flatford um, and um, as you would see at Dedham and Stratford St Mary. That's just been recently restored. Um, and, of course, they are traditional the traditional sort of uh, lock which um, operates without losing all the water down the river. But it was a two-day journey, so um, by the time the railway came uh, it was seen that uh, you could pull a train along a track a lot quicker than you could uh, pull a, a lighter uh, down to Misley. And from John Constable, of course, the um, National Trust Heritage Centre at Flatford, shouldn't forget that, and um, John Constable, let's also remember other things of Victorian times, the great brick-making industry of Sudbury and Bulmer and the Headinghams. It's estimated that something like seven million bricks a year were being exported to London in late Victorian times. And this was possible because of another historical advance, the coming of the railways in around the 1850s. And today we have two railway museums, one at Wakes Cone and another one at Castle Headingham. The Victorian um, railway station and the goods, the goods shed are good examples of the 1860 um, Great Eastern Railway um, buildings that they built for the railway at that time. Clare itself has some really interesting buildings and things that people can look at. There's the Priory which is uh, the first Augustinian friary that was established in 1248, I think it was. And in the grounds of the priory are the burial grounds of one of Edward I's daughters and one of Edward III's sons. Um, we also have a Woolltown church, a Gothic church, which is a magnificent example of the sort of churches that are built in this area. There's a common which has the ramparts of an old fort, a Saxon fort, 
Um, and there are over 140 listed buildings in the town, of which the ancient house is one of the most interesting because it's probably got the best or one of the best examples of pargeting in the country. Um, and all this is, can be linked together by, we've got a town trail which can take you around to see all these particular sites in less than a couple of miles, so it's not an arduous trail. Well, I think it's not only the history and archaeology, I think it's just a very attractive and peaceful country area. I mean, it's within 60 miles of London, so whether people come here for a day or want to stay for two weeks or more, there is plenty for them to see. There are also many attractive walks around which they can link in with visiting various historic sites. Something else we should never forget, and as a farmer uh, I'm bound to say this, the beautiful architectural um, tributes to the agriculture of Victorian times most manifest in a number of our corn exchanges, particularly on Sudbury Market Hill, a beautiful classically fronted glass-roofed building, but there were other equally interesting corn exchanges in Hadley and Helstead and Colchester and they all remind us of the pivotal importance to agriculture to the Stour Valley. It's what we all depend upon for our daily bread but agriculture has always been the cornerstone, the heartbeat of whatever has gone on along the Stour Valley. It's well worth going to as many villages as you possibly can, I think, in the Vale, because they all are individual uh, and very, very interesting to walk around. Where Sudbury's located, it's a really brilliant place to act as a base, to going out and visiting all of the other, uh, the wool towns locally, um, but even the coast, everything's within reach from Sudbury. You could go up to Harwich and, and you know, they've, they've got the Mayflower um, heritage stuff happening up there. You can go and visit Lavenham, go and see the Harry Potter house and the Lavenham Guildhall and things like that. So it's, a, it's also a great base to be able to go out and visit the whole of this area, which it's, is all beautiful. For more information about how and where you can explore the historical and archaeological features of the Stour Valley, please visit www.deadhamvalesturvalley.org forward slash visiting. There is a leaflet available to download which includes more information and a map about these places of interest.